Good morning. Good morning. My name is Ryan Schreckengast. I am... Good morning. Yes, that's what I want to hear. Uh, I'm one of the preachers here at GFC, and this morning I do want to start off with a question for the kids. Okay, are you ready, kids? Listen. Uh, when your parents ask you to clean something, what do you believe that they mean? Maybe you believe that they mean running the vacuum over the entire carpet, and that's very good. But I suspect that what the parents mean by clean has less to do with the number of times that you run the vacuum over the carpet and more with how much dirt is still remaining at the end. Or, kids, what do you believe your parents mean when they tell you to eat your dinner? Maybe you think that means that you should take at least one bite of each piece of food, even the ones that you don't like. Again, good. But maybe parents, for them, it means eating the food until it's all gone. <laughs> yes, until it's all gone. The difference, kids, between those things is a question of persistence. Finishing what you have began. Even if something good is begun, it's not finished until it's finished. But adults, let's consider for a moment what this principle means when we apply it to obedience in Christ. How many times do we fall back into old sins? How many times do we begin to trust him in very narrow circumstances only to fail to persist when things start getting hard? Do you thank God for the money that he has provided you when you have enough to take your family out to eat? But do you grumble in your heart when you wonder if you are really going to have enough money to both tithe and pay your bills this month? Do you rejoice at the friends that God has given you in this church but get angry when there is conflict that requires emotional investment and time to resolve and the friendships stop being easy. Friends, do you let your heart dictate to you what you believe to be true about God? When it comes to your relationship with God, salvation only comes through persistent belief in Jesus Christ. That is the main point of our text this morning. And just like we will see from the Hebrews who experienced God's salvation from Egypt, it is far, far too easy for us, friends, to harden our hearts in rebellion against God. 
So in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, which if you have one of the Bibles from the lobby is on page 942, the author reminds his audience, as you'll see in our outline, that as Moses was faithful, Jesus is perfectly faithful. And so he warns his audience to take care to not harden their heart like Israel did. Why? Because point three, the result of unbelief is sin and the inevitable wrath of God. That's where we're going this morning. So let's start by reading verses one through six together. And see how the author of Hebrews draws a very crucial connection between Jesus and Moses. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. In the same way, Moses was faithful to offer salvation, Jesus is faithful, and even more so. The author author of Hebrews has spent the last two chapters identifying for us the role of the son. And he ultimately revealed that son to be Jesus Christ in chapter two. In chapter one, we saw that the son surpasses the role of angels as those who are authorized to speak on behalf of God. And in chapter 2, we saw that the Son surpasses even the power of death to rule over those who cling to Jesus. And so now here in chapter 3, the author progresses this argument to the topic of salvation. He does so first by introducing this comparison to Moses. Why Moses? Why is Jesus here not described as faithful like the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob? Because the role that Moses played in the history of the people of Israel is that of Savior. 
Or you could say Messiah. Moses was the instrument of God's salvation from the slavery in Egypt. And so the author here draws a direct comparison in verse 2 between Jesus and Moses. Jesus is a faithful savior just as Moses was a faithful savior. How? According to his appointment by God in his appointed role. And that role is clarified in verse 3 as the builder and in verse 6 as the son. There's a pattern here worth drawing out. The author of Hebrews does not deny God's past messages in many ways or in many times and in many ways, as it said in chapter 1, verse 1. He doesn't deny that, but he demonstrates that Jesus is superior in his role as both messenger slash son. The author does not deny that, excuse me, excuse me, uh, does not deny that the messages which were declared by the angels Proved to be reliable. And every disobedience received a just retribution. In chapter 2, verse 2. But he continues to demonstrate that Jesus is superior in his role as both ruler slash son. And so here in chapter 3, the author does not deny that Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant in chapter 3, verse 5. But he demonstrates that Jesus is superior in his role as Savior slash Son. Do you see, friends, that Jesus' appointed role is that of messenger and ruler and savior and son? And so from here, the minds and the hearts of the original audience would have been fully keyed in. Yes, Jesus is like Moses. He is perfectly faithful to save. Amen. Preach it, brother. Hallelujah. But then the author drops a bombshell in verse six. And we are God's house. Amen. If indeed we hold fast our confidence, and our boasting in our hope. Wait. If? What if? Friends, we have seen that in the same way that Moses was faithful, Jesus is a perfectly faithful Savior. 
So where's the if? If Jesus is like Moses, then who are we like? Moses was faithful. And yet, the entire generation of people that God saved from Egypt rebelled. They rebelled, friends. And we must take care not to harden our hearts like Israel did. Let's read verses 7 through 15. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. Friends, here the writer of Hebrews has a warning for his audience. If Jesus is faithful like Moses, then take care that you are not like that generation of Israel. And he begins his warning with a quote from Psalm 95, which Tom referenced this morning, specifically verses 7 through 11, which would have been extremely well-known by his audience. The structure and the style of the book of Hebrews implies that the book may have first been delivered as a sermon, spoken aloud by a preacher. And if the preacher was speaking Hebrew and quoting from this Psalm 95, he may have used those same words you heard Tom read this morning for rebellion in verse 8, the word Meribah, which also means quarreling or grumbling. And he may have used the word for testing in verse 9, Masa. Meribah and Masa. Friends, these were such potent words for the people of Israel because they marked one of the greatest moments for their collective national regret. 
These words were references to the time in Hebrew history, which we get a detailed description of in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, where the people of Israel have been delivered from their slavery in Egypt, and God has brought them out, and they camp at a specific place where God tells them to camp. But it so happens that this place has no water. And so they grumbled. And they quarreled with Moses. And Moses challenged them, challenges them with this statement. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And this moment of Hebrew history marks the beginning of the events which led ultimately to the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until none of that generation were left alive to enter the promised land. Those are the my works that God references in verse 9. God swears to that generation that they will not enter his rest in the promised land, as we see here in verse 11. So why this history lesson? Because, friends, to that audience hearing this passage from Hebrews, they would have known that history, and not just known it, but felt it. And friends, we must know that God's salvation from slavery as delivered faithfully by Moses required something of the people. It required that the people believe that Moses' message from God was reliable. But they hardened their hearts, friends. And in the same way, God's perfect salvation as delivered faithfully by Jesus Christ requires you to believe that Jesus is reliable. Verse 12 explicitly states the warning. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you see how the preacher here calls his audience his brothers? These are not unbelieving Gentiles, but fellow members of the faith, those who have heard the good news of Jesus, his gospel. But friends, simply hearing the good news is not enough. An unbelieving heart will still rebel against the living God. 
And so the preacher here reiterates his warning again in verses 14 and 15. For we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence. How long? Firm until the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Friends, if Jesus is faithful like Moses, then are you like Israel? Will you hear the good news of salvation? Will you begin taking steps only to harden your heart through unbelief and fail to enter the promised kingdom? Is that you this morning? God forbid. God forbid that any of us hear this message and harden our hearts. So let's consider that warning this morning, friends. Let's consider how these verses apply no less to us this morning than they did to the original audience listening to a preacher which has been recorded for us in Hebrews. And no less than they would have applied to the audience hearing Psalm 95. And no less than they would have applied to the first freed Hebrew slaves. How does it apply? It applies first by knowing that we must not harden our hearts as in the rebellion. Learn from the wrath of God against the generation of Israel in the desert. And do not let your hearts test the Lord. Now, that is very easy to say, friends. I know that. But it is much harder to do. Especially when the Lord takes you and places you in a waterless wilderness. Do you fear that the Lord may have brought you out of a bad situation and into a worse one? A worse job? A worsening relationship with your kids? A worse financial situation? A worse spiritual season with the Lord himself? Friends, in these places, there is very real danger. So please take care that your heart does not stop believing in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And even more so, that it does not stop believing in the person of Jesus Christ. But again, I recognize that these situations present very real danger. And our hearts are so easily hardened. 
that this passage gives us a second command in verse 13. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers and sisters, in these kinds of situations, it can be nearly impossible to pull yourself up out of the lies that your own heart will tell you. Your sin will deceive you, friends. So we must exhort one another. We must pray for one another. We must love one another like Christ so that we each become living reminders not of how we can save each other, but of His salvation. And how often must we do this, friends? As long as it is called today. This, ex- this exhortation is not something that we will ever grow out of needing. Oh, oh no. Well, the very mature Christians, they, they don't really need this kind of exhortation. No. No, friends, remember that the preacher addresses his audience here in verse 1 as holy brothers. You who share in a heavenly calling. The difference between those who are brothers and those who are not is merely a question of persistence. Those who persist in their belief until the end. Those who hold fast to their original confidence, firm until the end. It is that persistent belief which is the goal of every follower of Christ. Because without that belief, friends, our hearts are hardened. Our sin deceives us. And the result of that sin justly provokes the wrath of God. Salvation comes through persistent belief in Jesus. That is the argument here. And that is the tragedy of falling away from the living God that happens gradually through unbelief Which leads to sin. Salvation only comes through persistent belief in Jesus. Let's read verses 16 through 19. And see how that unbelief leads us into sin. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked 
for 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter his rest because of unbelief. The unbelief which the author has been describing for us in this chapter leads inevitably to sin. The preacher has crafted his argument so cleverly here from the beginning of chapter 3. And so now in these final verses, he summarizes it, but backwards. (laughs) He says the same thing again, starting from the end. So let me show you here from the end to the beginning. Verse 19 names the root of the problem. It is unbelief. And that unbelief leads to disobedience in verse 18. And that disobedience to the Lord is called sin in chapter, or in verse 17, which then provokes the Lord to wrath. This, friends, the author argues, is the danger of hearing and not believing. Because the result of that unbelief is sin and the inevitable wrath of God. Again, I believe that the author here is drawing this fascinating comparison between the salvation which was accomplished by Moses and the salvation which was accomplished by Jesus. Look at verse 16. There were those who left Egypt led by Moses. Friends, they were saved. They were freed from their slavery to Egypt. And yet, even they, having been freed from that slavery, were not freed from the slavery of sin. It stemmed from their unbelief. And because of that sin, they still faced the wrath of God. They never received that promised rest that God said was available to them in the land he had prepared for them. But today, friends, you and I have access to an even better Savior. A superior Savior. A perfect Savior. One who does not merely bring earthly salvation, but who does bring salvation from slavery to sin. His name is Jesus. Jesus, who is worthy of much more glory 
even than Moses. Why? Because the role that he plays is greater. Jesus, who now makes it possible for us to be saved out of the very grip of death. If, if we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What is our hope? Or I should say, who is our hope? The Son of God. The Builder of our body, the church. Jesus Christ is our only hope, friends. Unbelief leads to sin and the wrath of God. But salvation comes through the persistent belief in Jesus. So how does this apply finally this morning? First, learn from the past. Recognize the danger of a hard heart which leads ultimately to sin and thereby to God's wrath. Heavenly brothers, do not assume that you are beyond the need to guard your heart Against unbelief. Especially. In difficult times. Full of suffering. Because Israel. Is not the exception. They're the rule. And when we find ourselves. In a waterless wilderness. Our heart begins to harden. And our sin deceives us. Into unbelief. Which is why friends. There is no moral system. Separate from Jesus Christ. That can ever be sufficient. For salvation. No matter how good you are. Or how well intentioned. No matter if you start eating. One bite from your plate. Or if you vacuum the whole carpet. If you do not keep your heart in alignment with the Son of God. Then you will sin. And you will face the wrath of God for your disobedience. And so the second application for us this morning. Is to persist. Persist fervently in the belief that every word of Jesus Christ is reliable. We must guard our hearts for as long as it is called today. We must guard against the temptation to disbelief the truth of Christ's role as messenger, ruler, savior, 
and most of all, son. What might it look like if we begin to disbelieve those things? We might begin to pick and choose the parts of God's word that we like to believe. When we handle our money, we might handle it as if we believe it's really ours and that our money is the source of our security. Or we may believe that we should love our friends but not our enemies. We may begin to not take captive every thought, but begin to entertain bitterness or resentment against our brothers and sisters. We may camp, as it were, at Meribah, the place of grumbling. We may make a habit of grumbling against the hardships that God asks us to endure, even when we are there with Him. We may masa or test the Lord, demanding that He treat us with the fairness that we believe our good deeds somehow deserve. Friends, even when it is hard, especially when we face suffering, even when there is the very real danger of bodily death, we must persist in our belief in the salvation offered by Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is our confidence. He is our hope. Nothing else. Because salvation only comes through persistent belief in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for Jesus. That you provided a way for our perfect salvation. Not merely salvation from things that we face in this world, God. But perfect salvation. The kind of salvation that can only be bought by the blood of your son. God, I pray that we would persist that we would exhort one another. That we would encourage each other to remember the truth of your word. That you are reliable God. So Father we thank you so much for Jesus. We throw all of our hope on him. God we repent of the ways that we have begun but failed to persist. Lord, help us with our unbelief. Lord, help us to see your great glory as our Savior 
as your messenger and as your son, God. And we pray for your strength in the weeks to come and the months and the years and the decades. God, we pray for your strength until the end. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.